Hey there, I am Barb Higgins, and this is A Thousand Tiny Steps. In this podcast, I share my stories of love, loss, triumph, and tragedy as I continue to retrace my steps under what led to the death of my daughter, Molly. By doing so, I hope to not only help myself, but to bring purpose and possibility to those who listen. If you are ready to laugh, cry, shake your head in disbelief, then tie, buckle, face up, or slip on your shoes, and join me as we begin our thousand tiny steps. Hey everybody, Barb Higgins right here, welcoming you to episode 112 of A Thousand Tiny Steps. When I was a little girl, I remember for the first time reading Shel Silverstein's book, The Giving Tree, and I didn't like it. The main reason I didn't like it is from my perspective, the boy in the book who grows into a man was just greedy. He just used the tree and the tree who I felt was wishing the boy would love him more, kept giving of itself, you know, take my shade, take my apples, take the wood, now sit on my stump, right? And, and it just made me sad. It wasn't a book that made me happy. And when I look at how desperately I cling to things sometimes, how desperately I cling to people who I want to love me and how desperately I cling to memories and items that represent the memories. This feeling around the book makes sense. This will be a hard episode to get through without crying a little bit. So we just cut down a tree in our yard and I will have written a blog post about this by the time you hear this story. But as with any, anything in life, change is tricky. Part of me is excited about change. Most of me is anxious and nervous about it. Always, I'm okay once it's occurred, for the most part. So I remember the first time I thought of this house as potentially being a house I would want, I was out for a run. It was the year 2000. And I lived on Alvin Street, which is a little neighborhood, you know, a bit north of where I live now. And I ran by this house and it looked like it always did. So I didn't pay much attention. And when I finished my five mile loop and was running back, the white fence had been put up. It was installed quickly. The fence company must have come in the hour that I was running and put the fence up and the house just popped. I'll never forget it. I went running again the next day and I did the same loop and I ran by the house and just admired it, how much the fence made the house pop. And I really paid attention to the details, this beautiful maple tree to the side of the house. And it just, suddenly I just noticed the property. When I finished that run that day, a for sale sign was in front of the house and I rushed home and told Kenny and we put an offer in shortly thereafter and the rest is history. Here we live. I remember the first time we really sat here after taking a tour, we sat at a picnic table in the yard with the people that were leaving the Grovers and they were moving far away. I don't remember where they were moving to now. And I remember the woman, Mrs. Grover, just looking at the house and this wistful look of how much she loved the property. It went right across her face. And we were sitting on a picnic table underneath this beautiful tree. And I felt for her because she loved her home and she'd only lived there just a handful of years, maybe five years at the most. They had started their family there. That stayed with me, just the look on her face. And as my life began to unfold here in this house, I felt in the beginning years so lucky. You know, I started my family in this house. I lost baby Gordy on Alvin Street in the other house. And then I had Gracie and Molly here and of course, Jack. So it is 2023 and we bought this house in 2000. We got married that year as well. 
on Friday, October 13th. And this year, October 13th is a Friday. It's coming up. I'm recording this on the 11th, which is Wednesday. To say in a lifetime has passed through me since that fall of 2000 and moving in here, starting my family, is an understatement. And when I look at the tree, I just see it all. I'm going to get emotional now. I remember early on living here, we didn't start having a swimming pool until the girls were in elementary school, but we spent so much time in our front yard. The driveway horseshoed through at that time and went out both sides of the yard. We had family get-togethers here a lot, bonfires with the neighborhood, and our neighborhood was young, lots of families with babies. And so Christmas Eve campfires and New Year's Eve campfires became a regular part of our, of our early years here. We strung, strung Christmas tree lights up on that big tree. I remember once following all the branches as high as I could. It looked fantastic from the road. It provided a ton of shade. We have a yard that gets a, a lot of sun. And when my mother babysat Gracie and Molly when they were babies and toddlers, they could spend hours outside because there was plenty of shade, ample shade. My mom could run into the kitchen or the bathroom and never lose sight of the girls because the tree was directly out in view of the back door. It started to show signs of wear a while ago. And it's one of those maples where a lot of the branches die. And so you have dead branches interspersed with live branches. The leaves turn red in the fall. I think it's a sugar maple. I think that's what it's called. It just was a part of our life. I can remember raking up piles of leaves, piles and piles of leaves. My first memory of the tree needing to be trimmed in any manner was probably the summer of 2004. My Pepo had died and we had a big family get together after his funeral. And my cousin James cut a branch off for us. It was, it was dying. It, it was just this big low branch. Right in the middle of the party, he cut the branch off. I think I have it somewhere on a computer with video somewhere. In the years that followed, we got rid of a couple of bushes that Gracie was allergic to. We chopped up the driveway, made a big sand circle for the pool. In 2008, when Gracie and Molly were in kindergarten and second grade, there was a big ice storm all through New Hampshire and everything froze and power was out for days and days. And the city came around after that and cut trees. They butchered the trees. And I, I, you know, I, I don't say that to be mean. Arborists are expensive, but we had some beautiful trees along our streets that were just, they interfered with power lines. Concord still has all its power lines above ground. Newer neighborhoods, they're buried, but not now. And so our tree got, you know, the branches that went over the power lines were just unceremoniously removed. So we had kind of a straight tree on one side and a full tree on the other. That was 2008, 15 years ago. And as the years have gone by, we've just noticed each year the tree begins to turn a little earlier and the signs of age were coming. This is the fall of change in my life. Landscaping is commencing this week. The kitchen reno will start in a couple of weeks and the tree needed to go. And so yesterday I was driving home from working out, yesterday meaning the 10th of October, and I did a Facebook Live about it. I came home to find just a tall, single dump of a tree that trunk that went all the way up to as tall as the tree had been. It was like the center, you know, center of the tree. And Rocky was up there in his bucket. Rocky's our tree guy. And he was just, you know, now sawing off chunks and pushing them down, making a pile of wood in the yard. And it became evident how much rot was in that tree from about two feet up from the ground throughout most of the tree until about maybe three quarters of the way up. Every branch was hollow or had really sticky, mucky pulp in the middle and not clear wood. We're lucky because a tree like that can fall over. We would not know you can't see inside the tree, kind of like how brain tumors hide in the head, right? And in the process of cutting the tree down, 
obviously nine gazillion emotions come through to me. And I got thinking about the giving tree and how when I look at us in that tree, we took from it and took from it and allowed it to give to us every single day we lived here. I remember our neighbors, Lucy and Rosie, got a swing set for Christmas. And one of their clue gifts was a swing. One of, it was like a, like a round plastic disc with a string that went up the middle or a rope that went up the middle. So one person would sit on it and hold the rope and swing. And we hung it from our tree. David and Kenny hung it from the tree by a chain. It ended up staying there. It stayed there until after Molly had died. And that swing was so popular because you had to swing at an angle. You'd hit the tree or you'd hit the fence. It was wonderful. It was, it was a go-to immediately when, when kids were in our yard. When we came home from the hospital without Molly, May 7th, 2016, a friend of mine was here who has a thin veil in her life between here and the other side. And she got this funny look on her face and I asked her if she was okay. And she said, Molly's on the swing, Molly's on the swing. And so whether or not Molly was actually on that swing, I believe that she saw her there. And I've seen her there in my heart hundreds of times since that day. When the swing finally broke and we had to take it down, it was just the chain with the hook. And I saw Molly there because it was the remnants of that swing. We used that tree for shade. We built fairy houses around the trunk. It was one of those great trunks where some of the roots bumped up and all these nooks and crannies down there for fairy houses. We raked up all those leaves, would jump in them every year. I would be upset with the tree for blocking sun from the pool, especially in the fall when the sun is lower in the sky earlier and the, the sun would go around the tree as opposed to over it. So we would lose sun in the pool relatively early. It was just a piece of us, a piece of us in ways that I can't even describe now. It also provided a barrier, a sense of, of safety from the road around our yard. We live on a corner, so we have a busy road in the front and our small side street. But the tree was a bit of protection, a bit like a blanket, probably wouldn't really protect us from anything, but it created closure in our yard. It, it felt closed in. And so it's been a struggle to really decide to cut the tree down. Our neighborhood is losing trees right and left right now because they're all 100 to 150 years old and trees have a lifespan. So I've been remembering moment after moment. One winter, there was so much snow that when we shoveled the driveway, the snow banks went up to the bottom branches of the tree. So Gracie and Molly could sit on a tree branch and their feet would touch the snowbank. Perspective changes. You know, that branch seemed so high in the summer and it wasn't high at all with the snow piled up to it. Lately, I've been taking pictures out the window, out the pantry window, out my bedroom window, out Kenny's bedroom window, from the porch, out the living room bay window. Pictures, 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 because just like with Molly, it's all I will have left of that tree now. And when I try to replicate the pictures without the tree, I, I'm not taking a picture of anything. I'm taking a picture of a big open space. I'm photographing everything that was once behind the tree. And of course, <laughs> this, this physical thing, this tree, and this story written by Shel Silverstein of The Giving Tree just got me thinking of how much nature and the, and the earth really does give to us. And how if we keep our minds right, we can take from the earth without ruining it. But I know I'm probably in a relative minority when it comes to looking at the earth that way. We call it Mother Earth after all. And we all know children behave the worst for their mothers because they feel the safest there. So. When I look at how we treat Mother Earth sometimes, I feel like, of course, she's called Mother Earth. <laughs> if it were Father Earth, maybe we'd be afraid of the patriarchal structure and we'd all obey the rules of Earth. I don't know. <laughs> Here I am on October 11th, 23 years 
and a month or two since moving in here. And there's no tree there, just a stump, which will also disappear in the next couple of days. And what's my metaphor here? Well, there are a million metaphors. I never once took that tree for granted because I really loved everything it offered. I will say mowing the lawn underneath it in recent weeks has been stressful because I never know when a branch is going to fall down. We took from it. We took a lot. We, we were happy to use its shade. We were happy to decorate its branches. We were happy to shroud it with fairy houses. We were happy to attach a swing to it. I did wall balls against it. I did handstand walks. You know, I kicked up into a handstand on that trunk. These are things I used the tree for. My mom and dad would love to come and sit under it. It was just a nice shady spot. It provided our yard with a lot of shade. And then there's Rocky. And I think sometimes the universe guides us in ways we don't know. The tree needed to come down, but I hadn't been in touch with Rocky for a long time. And about six weeks ago, my neighbor across the road, Alan, needed a tree cut down quickly in his yard. He got up on a ladder to trim it and realized it was dead on the top. It was hollow. Rocky came. And so I went over to talk to Rocky to say, please cut this down. We're in big trouble with this tree. Please cut this down, which he did. So we reconnected and he said, yep, I can do it. Rocky's a longtime Concord resident. Well, he lives just outside of Concord, but there isn't a yard in Concord that doesn't have a piece of Rocky's tree removal expertise on it. He's a classic New Englander, a little rough around the edges, has a thick down east accent, which is very similar to a Boston accent. Not a lot of ahs. It's a little more backwoods sounding than a Boston accent is. I don't know how, how to explain it. If I spoke in both, they would sound identical to people not from around here. He knows everybody and a simple question will always yield a lengthy answer from Rocky. The last couple of years of Rocky's life, he's been battling cancer and he's kicking ass. If you saw him, you wouldn't think he was sick, but he doesn't work as fast as he used to. And he's gotten very good at taking care of himself. This is a job in the old days he could have gotten done in less than a day, but he spent five or six hours yesterday and three or four hours today. You know, so a long, one long day divided into two days here, removing the tree. In the process of the tree removal, of course, all of us are having our emotional, our emotional reactions. Kenny's hiding it well. Jack is just enthralled, but worried that the tree was sick and that we'll miss the tree. What Jack loved the most was the tractors and the cranes and the buckets and the trucks. Oh, he was in little boy heaven, I'll tell you. And as the tree came down and you see the inside of the tree and the rings and the lifeline of that tree, you just see so much. You just see its lifetime. It's been standing there for a long time. We kept a piece of it and I'm going to shellac it real pretty or have somebody shellac it, make it into a little table, a small table upon which I think I'll put a picture of Gracie and Molly under the tree or on the tree. I'm sure I can find a good one. And that's how we'll remember it, that it was there and that it mattered to us. But along with the two days of tree cutting on Rocky's part was conversation, conversation, conversation. I got really teary eyed during one of our conversations and he stopped for a minute because I had mentioned Molly's name and he goes, who's Molly? And I said, well, my 13-year-old daughter who's dead. <laughs> and so he got teary-eyed. We shared some really emotional stories. This is a rugged, rough guy. I think the right person to cut my tree down is somebody that's willing to stand in my yard where the tree once was and cry with me. And he did. He cried at people he'd lost. He cried at special moments he had in his cancer treatment with people he met. He cried about Molly. I told him the story that, you know, the parts of the story I'm not allowed to share publicly. We shared some anger over big pharma and basic American medicine in general. I took him to Coach's house. Coach has a Norway maple and a sugar maple, a huge, huge sugar maple. Both need some significant work, but he can do it. 
I thought maybe he would want to cut them both down. I know that they're old trees, but the big one, it's a huge maple and it forks into two huge maples coming from one giant trunk. And he says, no, no, we can do this. We can save it. And you, you wire things together and you get rid of branches that cause heavy weight. It's all very scientific. Physics comes into play <laughs> in that really practical way. And so he's going to take care of Coach's trees. And I told him about buying Coach's house and how much Mr. Ludi meant to me and how involved he was in my life and how he saved me in so many ways. And Rocky said, well, then I'll take care of these trees. You know, he's not healthy and he's not young. He's almost 70, but he gets it. And he said that to me. I've learned as I've gotten older that life isn't about the mighty dollar bill, that sometimes life is way more about the connections you have and the people you meet and the money you might sacrifice to do the right thing. Made me really happy. I asked him, did he ever get sad cutting down trees? And he said, all the time, because trees are beautiful. They're like nature's defiance. They sometimes can withstand the toughest winds and the pelting rains and the freezing temperatures. They get battered all winter long, and then they bloom beautiful and green again in the spring. <laughs> I wish Molly could bloom again down here. Anyway, my mom turned the corner and didn't come in, and I called her and said, are you okay? And she wasn't prepared for not seeing a tree because, you know, I don't see her all the time. So she didn't know it was coming down. I didn't know it was coming down. So I called her on the phone a little bit later. We talked a lot about the tree, what it meant. And, you know, that it's time. It's a tree. I'm looking at a gazillion other trees that surround my house. The Northeast is heavily dense forest. If the whole city of Concord were to move away, it would not take long for a lot of it to disappear beneath the trees. But this one was in our yard. It was a piece of us. It was one more piece of proof that Molly was here. One more gaze, one more view, one more thing for me to look at and remember 50 things that happened beneath it. Maybe it's to get me ready for what comes next. The fence in the front of our house will, won't be there for long. And I have a picture of Molly painting it with me and Gracie and our neighbor, Elise. So that will disappear. The kitchen window behind Molly, in the picture I took of her on her 13th birthday with her little 13 cake, I look at that window from the door from the living room all the time and picture Molly at the kitchen table in between it. And in two or three months time, when I stand in the door from the living room, looking over where that window was, I'll see a much smaller window and there won't be a kitchen table. There'll be an amazing kitchen, but it won't be the one that I looked at when Molly was here. I'm really anxious about that. Change is good and change is necessary. And I know I have some of the naysayers in my life who would, will look at this with contempt and remark to their friends that they can't believe I'm still upset about these things. But, you know, when somebody in your life dies that you loved unequivocally, and these things will bother you forever. <laughs> so it'll be okay. I've reinstituted some things. Jack is dancing, so I'm, I'm back tap dancing again, much to the chagrin of the toes on my left foot, but that's okay. It's nice to see Cindy Flanagan. She's teaching the class. We're dancing to a song that Gracie and Molly danced to, Sing, Sing, Sing. I get connected to Molly that way. Cindy's significant other, Carl, shared a story with me that he had been at the hospital and saw an ambulance whiz in and a medical helicopter, and he had a rush of memory around Molly, and he got teary-eyed sharing it with me, and then he apologized. I'm like, no. So I know she's still here by hearing stories about her and knowing that other people remember her as well. <laughs> Carl and Cindy are going to come to the book signing. 
So look at the timing of all of this, the release of the book, which we tried to release in April and then in July, the kitchen remodel, the landscaping, all of the things that we need to do to keep our house healthy, to keep our yard safe. It's all sort of happening at the same time. Maybe this is how it's supposed to be. I don't know. The day that you're hearing this is the day that my book signing will occur at Gibson's. So maybe it's supposed to be an emotional day. That would make sense to me based on how things are. The best part of today was watching Jack get up and down off that blue tractor probably 50 times. He'd climb up. He had this little trick where he could stand where the big steering wheel was and do a two-foot jump and land his tushy right on the seat. He made us watch. He'd still be doing it if we just left the tractor there. He put up a big fight when it came time to leave. Rocky has invited us to his land. He has deer that come. He's been feeding them for years, I guess. And so they come and he feeds them apples and his house is in the middle of the woods. He's like, you got to bring Jack up and let him watch the deer. And Jack would love it. I know he would. He's just so curious about everything. You know, so there was some happiness in it. And the new tree that we plant in the spring can be Jack's tree. And it will have connections to Molly, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Mostly it's just making me really sad. In the two years after Molly died, when I was at my worst, we did no yard work at all. We mowed the lawn and that was it, nothing else. And we had a garden that my friend Robin planted with all the flowers that people had given us. We would maybe weed that. Mostly she would weed it. We just didn't have the energy to do it. And in the summer of 2018, that was shortly after we settled the lawsuit, I just thought I would trim the yard a little bit. And it ended up being like a two-day, multi-hour ravage of the yard. I got saws and clippers and hedge cutters and I just cut, oh my gosh, I just eliminated branches and branches and branches and bushes and overgrowth. So as you come up our driveway right now, there's a significant lawn there to the left. And there was when we moved here. When the girls were little, we had our camper over there. And after Molly's death, we just didn't tend to it. And of course, it just kept encroaching to the driveway. So by the time I really got back there to cut back everything, it was almost to the driveway. But it sheltered us from everybody. When you looked out that way, you couldn't see any of the houses up the road because it was all trees and vines. And it was so cathartic for me. I remember it was just cathartic to get rid of it all. The hard part doing that was I would pull up weeds and I would find a necklace, a beaded necklace or a gemstone or a little pair of plastic sunglasses. And that was the enchanted forest when the girls were little. They used to put toys out there for the fairies all the time. And so I just started saving them in a bucket in like a flower pot. Molly's pink arch that's falling apart. I think we finally put it in the dumpster because it was just not savable, I don't think. It was difficult, but it was also good. And little by little, we've rebuilt the enchanted forest and we've made the yard fun and happy, as happy as it can be. But today I'm just a mess. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have recorded a podcast, but I feel like if I'm going to be authentic, I can't just be zippy little happy Barb all the time. <laughs> Sometimes it's me, this Barb. So I guess if I have a message in this or a lesson to share, never advice to give. <laughs> it would be that the story of my life, which is the good, the bad, all comes together. The picket fence of joy and grief, that even this really, really a sad, tragic day. I had so many beautiful moments and I am having amazing memories looking back on the life of that tree in my yard and what the families before us shared from it. I don't think any of the Hart family is alive anymore. I'd have to, I should research that. They're the family that built our home. They grew up with that tree. That tree grew up with them and then the Grovers and then us. We're just the third people, the family to own this home in 118 years. 
makes me feel old now. <laughs> anyway, if you're local and you didn't know my book signing is tonight, come on down and join in. I do know that my intention is to plan other book signings in different locations so that those of you that listen that live far away might be able to come and meet me and chat in person. I'd like to do them in a lot of different places. It's all available now. You can go online and buy it at all your normal Barnes and Noble and Amazon and those kinds of things. And also your local indie bookstore. Any indie bookstore will be able to get you a copy of my book. So if you have a favorite local bookstore that you like, order it through them simply because it's good to keep those businesses going. People that don't have access to a local bookstore, I can understand ordering it from Amazon. It's convenient and easy. But if you can, order it from your local bookstore. I think these next few episodes will probably chronicle somewhat the other changes that will come to my home. The landscaping in the front and the kitchen, the bathroom and all that. So be ready and check out all my social media, of course, and also my website and email. If you don't get my email, sign up for it. I will never use it to sell things. As I've been rereading all the emails I've sent and I read other emails that I get, I'm sort of just doing a blog post a week and an email blog post a week. Typically, my weekly emails are more of a blog post, a commentary or thoughts around what's happened to me in the, in the week prior. And sometimes my podcast and my blog have nothing to do with the email, which I kind of like. It's just another way for people to keep up with me. And there, I have, I think, 70 subscribers. I should probably push it more, but it will never be a place to push a service on you ever. I may definitely give information around Molly B Foundation events and ways to support that, but that will be it. I mostly want to stay connected to people. So if you feel like it, go ahead and sign up for the sign up for my weekly email newsletter. Also, what you might do if you're a relatively new podcast listener, I divided my podcast into seasons when I was telling my life story. And season eight is, has essentially been all of July, August, and September. Now we're into October. I, I stopped sort of doing the season thing. And I'm not sure if I'll divide these podcasts up and continue that or not. But listen to the seasons of Molly and listen to the seasons of Jack. You'll get a lot of information and backstory into some of the things you'll read about in the book. Won't give anything away. A written book is very different than a verbal podcast. But if you want an idea of what you might hear and see and find out in the book, I think it's season one and season two would be a logical place to go. A sort of exciting piece of potential news is that Virginia helped me write Motherland. In the grief world, siblings, children, and their trauma and grief are often overlooked. And so sisterhood <laughs> is this like little generic name we thought for Gracie's book. It would be the very same story I told, but from her perspective. One of the best things about Virginia as an author is her ability to tell a story from two or three perspectives. So you'll read a chapter about an event, and then the next chapter will be the very same event, but how it was experienced through a different character. It's amazing. It's a really good way to get a full story. Gracie's story would be like that. Like, you know, I talk about the last week of Molly's life and Gracie can talk about it from her perspective. And so that's coming up. I mean, when I say coming up a year or two down the road, right? I'm at a loss for a really good way to end other than to say, thank you for listening to me talk about the tree. I'm pretty upset about it still. Be good to yourself, even if that means sharing a sad story with somebody. Be good to someone else. Listen to their sad story with an open ear and a tender heart. Find a tree to sit under and think about what it might have seen in its life. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and supporting the podcast. Feel free to leave a review and share my stories with your friends. Please reach out with your own stories as I love connecting with my listeners. If you would like to get to know Molly 
head over to mollybfoundation.org to see what she is all about. If you want to see what I'm up to next, you can find me on Instagram at barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, thousandtinysteps.com. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter, a weekly way to find out what's up in the life of Barb Higgins.